everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome back to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about predicting the future. Look, if you had a crystal ball and could know when and how your industry was going to get disrupted, would you change? Would you change your products or services? Would you look for a new job or start transitioning to a new industry or even a new career path altogether? I'm talking today to both employees and business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever you call yourself, your industry is going to get disrupted. Now, this may sound harsh, but the reality is, I think most people won't change. If I asked right now, outside of the moment, most people would say that they would make some kind of change, and I know they'd mean it, but most people have too many excuses, I'm sorry, reasons, why they're not going to change, why they can't change, or everything's going to be okay. And I include myself in all of this, too, and I'll get into that in a minute. But seriously, if I hear one more CEO talk about how they have market dominance or the other guy's not going to last, quite frankly, it's enough to make me want to slap someone. And if I hear one more friend tell me why their company is failing around them, but they'll be fine, and I include myself in this, like I was saying, I saw the writing on the wall actually for months and used the excuse of being distracted with selling my old house. The truth was... I was actually more hoping to not lose that cushy job than anything. But wishful thinking and confidence in where we are doesn't really make reality change, and I ended up losing that job and spending a couple of months looking for a new one. So stop with me for a minute and think, and and be honest with yourself. If you could see two or three or even five years into the future, would you do something about it? Again, I think most people won't. I recently heard the story of how the Netflix founder originally tried to partner with Blockbuster. At the time, Blockbuster was actually still doing great. And if you don't know what Blockbuster is, you're way too young. But uh, (laughs) Blockbuster was a a series of stores where you'd go in and rent videotapes. If you don't know what a videotape is, you're actually starting to make me sick. And you would rent these videotapes for a couple of nights... The the big joke was that they all had a sticker on them that said, be kind, rewind, because you had to rewind these huge bricks of tape. But you would watch these movies, you'd return them. It was a very popular place. I had friends who worked in those stores. They were everywhere. And then uh, 10 years after this meeting with the Netflix founder, well, they just disappeared. I mean, they went out of business. But my question is... Could Blockbuster's CEO have seen it coming? And I say a resounding yes, and I say it's easier than most people think. Just based off of that conversation that they were having, the Blockbuster CEO should have seen that, uh, that Netflix was a really good idea and should have seen that, hey, it might take five years, but eventually something's going to happen and I better get in on controlling it before it happens to me and then I have to scramble or essentially go out of business. As I've been touching on, I believe most industries have indicators that disruptive change is coming. Hearing someone's idea when they see a way to use new technology is definitely an important avenue. 
Again, the whole Netflix blockbuster example. And in the case of Netflix, at the time, it was a new way to use existing technology. At the time, it was actually where they would mail you DVDs, and then you would just kind of rent them for as long as you want, and then return them eventually. And that model might have sounded uh, kind of crazy at the beginning, who wants to wait for DVDs to arrive, but apparently a lot of people did. And when streaming video started becoming more of a reality, that's where they quickly moved. Now, you can argue that they are now getting uh, beaten by other people like Hulu or Disney or whoever else is coming on, uh, and that maybe their market share is dwindling a little bit, but they can still survive, and I actually have confidence that they'll be fine, especially since the uh, pop culture meme is Netflix and chill, not Hulu and chill. But there are some other great sources to see what's coming towards you. For example, a careful eye on crowdfunded and lab-level projects is one source of intelligence. And watching for disruption and developments in supporting and peripheral industries around you is another. And I'll talk about a few more. But smart people always keep in mind one important fact. Everything gets replaced eventually. That thought should always be in the back of an entrepreneur or a business owner's mind. It should also be in the back of the minds of every employee everywhere, from day one. So, while not every disruption can be predicted, knowing that they're coming should be enough to keep you thinking about how to actually be that disruption, rather than just trying to manage it once it arrives. To give you a clearer picture of what I'm talking about, let's look at a few industries that have been disrupted in the last few years and see how they could have actually seen it coming. As far as jobs, the specter of automation and software actually does loom over the fast food industry. We've seen it in tax accounting, now taxi and truck drivers. I've gotten to the point where I know that my son will have an even harder time finding a summer job than I did, and he's only a few months away from 16. And I say this even in a tight job market where I know that retailers and fast food restaurants are having a hard time finding qualified or basically anybody to work there, especially in more affluent areas. And I say this because not every job market is tight. Now, so in the retail industry, you know, a lot of these places are going out of business. And maybe he could go to work at one of those kind of big box uh, home improvement stores because they are actually thriving in this market. But who knows? And how many of those jobs really still exist, especially for a 16-year-old who doesn't know how to actually build anything? And, and the thing is, is that employers are actually still hiring carefully, especially in price-sensitive industries that often provide those first summer jobs. Now, I don't believe that my daughter will even be able to find a summer job in the five years that she has before she's actually old enough to start looking. And I could be wrong. Um, since new technology means new industries and new opportunities, there might actually be a lot of new industries or new jobs coming on for kind of that first summer job that's not just pushing carts. But just in case, we're actually working on building both of their YouTube channels for now. And they're really passionate about it. So, um, you know, something that they can be excited about, something they can build and be kind of an entrepreneur on their own, even at an early age. 
And I believe that those YouTube channels, even if they end up going off to college and just getting a job and all of that, will give them a sense of independence and control over things and confidence that they might not have otherwise been able to get. And I actually have a whole other episode planned talking about why your kid needs a YouTube channel. But speaking of new technology, we can also see a pattern repeating. And that's the pattern of current jobs being replaced with new technology. At the same time, new technology and new industries are creating new jobs. And my job wouldn't have actually existed without the internet. And actually, my career path, my job, didn't exist until about two years into my college education. And I really didn't think much of software or web design until I got a taste of it. And that's where I just jumped. I I moved completely into that, away from product design, very quickly in my career after I graduated. And that's where I've been ever since. But again, my job didn't exist without these new technologies that then actually replaced other jobs. And you actually wouldn't even be listening to this without the internet. Without the internet having disrupted industries such as retail and all of that, you wouldn't have the opportunity to have your own thing. So I have the opportunity to start my own essentially radio show without having to go around to all these different radio stations and trying to sell a show. Even though I I know there are many jobs that have changed or been eliminated due to the rise of the internet. And again, that's like retail and things like that. But you're also starting to see a change in the music industry where people are buying less and less music and starting to pay for more streaming services. And I'll talk about that in a second. And it's not just the internet. You're looking at automation, artificial intelligence, and even just more traditional software that's been around forever uh, is reducing the number of people needed in certain fields. So even though uh, traditional software has been around for years and automation has been around for decades, uh, artificial intelligence is actually on the scene now and people are using artificial intelligence solutions and you're starting to see places that we thought would never be touched getting touched by all these things. I mean, you can see it as you walk into certain McDonald's where they have touchscreen ordering systems already in some of their stores. And, and so you, the only people working there are the people behind the counter. So you have kitchen staff and maybe a couple of people kind of handing over the food at the counter and maybe a couple of people cleaning the place or one person kind of cleaning the place. But you don't really have cashiers anymore. So to, you, know, you have maybe one or two, but you don't have that row of cashiers anymore. And this automation in restaurants isn't even new, so if you're old enough or a history buff enough to remember the Automat, the seemingly fully automated restaurant, and for those of you who don't know, actually, the Automat was essentially a restaurant filled with vending machines. So there are, you can you walk into kind of those, like a waiting room or something, and there's a vending machine that has sandwiches and apples and whatever in it. Well, imagine a restaurant filled with uh essentially larger versions of those things and uh, you would put your money in and get a full meal out so it was more of a traditional meal at the time Um, and there were really no people to serve you or to take your order or even to tip everyone worked behind the scenes so by all measures these automats were very successful and in fact they started back uh, before the 1900s And the only reason it failed was actually just changing tastes in meals and dining. So they lasted up until 
the 70s and then they actually faded out slowly up, up until the 90s when the last one finally closed. So that's more than 90 years for this change to happen. And I contend that if the people behind the automat had changed with the times, they actually might still be around. And again, the only reason that they failed was due to people wanting more fast food style meals. They wanted something smaller than these full sit-down meals that you would get at an automat. Instead, they kept their traditional sit-down restaurant format and essentially faded into history. And if you've never heard of the automat, you're in good company. I don't think many people have. And I'm actually not sure why they didn't see it coming. I don't know if it was tradition or not wanting to alienate their current audience or um, the curse of past success, which is a big problem. After all, it's easy to say, we've been around for 90 years, we'll be around forever. And I've been around people who say those kinds of things. In fact, I worked for a company that said, hey, we've been around for 40 years, everything's fine. Our industry's shrinking, but hey, we're going to be fine. Um, they weren't fine. But as wages go up and as businesses look for ways to stay relevant, they're adopting more automated or self-serve ordering. And it's not just the big names. My family and I walked into actually a couple of new franchises where ordering was through touchscreen. The food was good. Sure, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think a little overpriced, but it was good nonetheless. And um, but the only people that worked there were the people in the kitchen area and then one person kind of bussing tables. And they did have one cashier, but that cashier was overwhelmed by this long line. But when people discovered that they could go to the kiosk in order, all of a sudden that line disappeared. It was kind of impressive. And that's because people actually find ordering through kiosks fun, and so they're more prone to order more food, so the restaurant will do better. So there's really almost no argument for keeping a cashier except to say for those people who don't want to use a kiosk, you need one person. But that's one person compared to having two or three or four. But think about this. Those two new businesses are entering the market already automating. And they're not the only ones. If this trend behaves like an average trend, I contend that it's only a matter of maybe two or three years before more places jump on that kind of automation train. And they'll start to experiment with even more automation as they can. After all, how many places already have order ahead on their app or website? You order ahead and go there and it's ready for you. You don't even have to talk to anybody. How big a leap is it to add a few in-store kiosks to that mix? So this essentially means fewer jobs. And it's not just one or two fewer jobs. Like I was saying, you only need one cashier where you normally maybe have two or three or even four. But let's talk about something a little bit more, uh, I don't know, sexy, I guess, which is self-driving or fully automated cars and trucks. And while I fully believe that that dream will soon be realized, I have my doubts about how comfortable people will feel trusting their lives to a machine that actually has no set route. So it's not like you're on tracks or something. This is a, a machine that can go wherever it believes that it needs to, based on the destination you set, and operate itself. And I asked this question because the other day in Austria, and I think this was just a couple of weeks ago, a woman was struck by a self-driving bus that they were experimenting with. And then meanwhile, an Uber self-driving car actually killed a pedestrian. So that led to the governor banning Uber from further tests in that area. 
And we're seeing the same strong reaction to self-driving cars as people had to other new technology in the past, such as trains and other things like that. Uh, I talked about all of that in another episode. But you're seeing people in Arizona attack Waymo's self-driving minivans, so they come back all battered and bruised. Again, the pattern of people attacking new technology continues as they start fearing it. But that pattern actually does have an end where people eventually accept it and just kind of move on with their lives. So while driverless taxis and things like that might be actually further down the road than we expect, I can still imagine driverless trains and driverless long-haul trucks. Both uh, So the driverless trains being on tracks, having set destinations. You can't take a wrong turn. And I guess I can kind of see driverless long-haul trucks, especially if they're just on highways and things like that, and only occasionally in town. But that remains to be seen. And you can actually email me when I turn out to be wrong. I have this strong suspicion that something's going to happen and the industry is going to take a positive turn and all of a sudden self-driving technology will be uh, a really viable option. But I don't see it really putting everyone out of the driving industry in any significant amount of time. I mean, maybe 10 or 15 years, but I'd actually be really shocked if it was any sooner. The indicators I see to that pattern, though, are the high caution that is required in something like this, where you're driving around 3,000 pounds of steel all on its own. Now, the indicators I see to that pattern are the high caution that is being exhibited, especially because you're driving around two, 3,000 pounds of steel all on its own with just essentially being guided by something that most people don't understand. And the general high complexity of all of the aspects involved in creating driverless cars. So this pattern is tending to repeat itself, but eventually it will get solved. But you also have legal issues piling up as companies race to be the first to market. And they start cutting corners and generally seeing the human issue as getting in the way of their product. And if you look at things like the hubris of Waymo or... Uh, Uber putting taxis and things out there uh, when they they know that they're not quite ready, but they they are like, hey, you know what? We're not quite ready. We're going to do it anyway. Uh, this is an issue where people can die. This is an issue where you need to be fully ready, fully tested before you go out there. But let's talk about some of those industries that are already in transition. So could, for example, the TV or cable companies have predicted their replacement? And I believe that they did, actually. Um, from it, the industry insiders I've talked to, most of those companies actually did a lot of hand-wringing and denial. And it's not like they didn't own Internet access itself anyway, only that they were not working on transitioning to solutions like Hulu and Netflix at the time. And I get that they have complex purchase issues. Some of the things that I was told is that to, in order to get one channel on their cable network, they would actually be forced by that company to buy all these other channels, raising the price. And that was a big issue that I think still affects them to this day. But their lack of apparent action is actually astounding to me. Considering the lead time that they had, seeing it coming, I just, you know, I mean, for example, my wife and I only recently cut the cord to cable and just went fully to internet. And this transition came as we realized that there's actually nothing on TV anymore that we really want to see, 
And there's only maybe one or two shows on maybe somebody like Netflix or a streaming service that we actually really even want to watch. And so our TV watching time in recent months has really slowed to a crawl. And now I mostly watch YouTube with my daughter and maybe one or two shows with my wife when we have time. And if the trend is to be believed, and watching my kids, I believe it, traditional TV shows are poised to be replaced by YouTube-style videos. And this is a prediction I'm making based on all the other patterns I've watched. And even I struggle when I make that statement because internally I say, hey, there's no real evidence that's going to happen. Maybe kids will start watching more traditional TV shows instead of these YouTube-style videos. But I still have to rely on what I've seen in past trends where you watch the next generation doing their own thing. And the pattern I see with them is less time for TV, less caring about TV, more caring about video games and um, and kind of hanging out with their friends online, and then also just kind of these quick hits of videos. And it could be that YouTube videos actually start becoming more half-hour things. You know, who knows? But the fact is, is that streaming services like YouTube or Patreon have made it possible for people to be their own producer and have their own TV shows. And so that is disrupting all of this traditional production that's going on. So while music is being disrupted, you're going to start watching as the acting industry is going to be disrupted as well. Now, I have to say that my son is older and he still watches his shows, but they're all streaming services. And our daughter is younger, and so she's all about YouTube, and she's really into her YouTube channel. So maybe that has something to do with it. But when I talk with her friends, they all talk about how they pretty much just watch YouTube. So it often takes a little imagination and the humility to trust in the other guy's success to see it coming. And by that, I mean seeing the entrepreneur that's building momentum in your market and knowing that they have a good shot. Or looking at the person who failed and knowing that they had a good idea worth pursuing. So it's maybe time to start looking at what they've been doing and do it yourself before somebody else does. In fact, I have to say, somebody probably already did see that same opportunity and is working on it right now. So you actually might be a little late. After all, how long did it take Amazon and Google to put their own version of Roku out? How long did it take Roku to make big inroads in the streaming market in the first place? Was it like a year or maybe two? The question now is, what can you do? And from my point of view, it's all about mindset. It's a mindset that gets you past excuses. A mindset that doesn't accept the status quo and always keeps an eye towards what's next. And more importantly, I think, is staying humble enough to know what you have is not going to last. The reality is, everything gets replaced over time. It used to be about every 10 years or so. And if you looked back, you know, I was looking back basically starting from the 1950s when I kind of have a memory of people talking about things. And so I'm looking through a filter here. But it used to be about every 10 years or so where something would come along and replace some industry. And then it was about every five, every, you know, back in about the 90s, about 1990, late 80s. Everything started getting replaced every five years, and now it's accelerated where it's every two or three years where something new comes along. And I'm not talking about the latest version of whatever gadget. I'm actually talking about industry disruption. 
So an industry will get disrupted. Everyone is shocked and angry. People lose their jobs. Stores close. You know, the reality is, is that no amount of legislation is going to save it. It may last a little longer, but as we're seeing with the coal industry, if it's being replaced, it's being replaced. And I'm not dismissing the pain and difficulty that that stuff causes the workers in that industry. Only that it takes a lot of short-sightedness to not transition your company to do something else. I was talking with some friends about the coal industry, and they actually have friends who worked in it, and they actually moved on since then. You know, my comment was is that it's almost criminal for a company owner, a CEO, to see the disruption coming, to know that it's, it's 10 years away, and that they have some time, and to not do anything. And if you're saying, hey, they couldn't have done anything, look at the oil companies as they are moving to more renewable energy. They're actually seeing the writing on the wall and they're starting to transition away from oil towards more clean energy. And in fact, recently Jeff Bezos talked about how he believes Amazon won't be around forever. And he's right, but everybody that he said that to was shocked that he said that. But not only is, I hope it's hum, humility, uh, but not only is he humble enough to admit it, he's actually smart enough to see the patterns. Amazon might be around for another 50 or 60 years, but if the pattern continues, and it's a traditional pattern, once he's gone, the company actually is probably going to decline. Or in the next five years, people will change their buying habits, or somebody with a better idea will come along and essentially put them out of business or reduce their market share. But what you can do is to constantly think about how you can replace what you do as an employee, as an entrepreneur, as a business, or how you can put yourself out of business. And then move things in that direction while you are in control of the situation. Again, this is something that I didn't do. I saw the writing on the wall at the company I was at. I knew that my job was most likely going to go away in the next six to whatever, eight months. And I was right. Seven months later, I was out of a job. Had I started looking for another job? Eh, kind of lightly. But, you know, I always am. But I didn't. And so there I was, stuck and trying to scramble to find a new job. And luckily, I landed on my feet, but I know a lot of people don't always do that. Now, if you can't imagine how you can put yourself out of business or how you can replace the work that you're doing, I suggest that you don't know your market or audience enough. And if that's the case, figure out why and fix it. It's not that difficult, and there's a lot of research that you can do and a lot of sources for that research, depending on your situation. The internet is a marvelous thing for that. But if you do find that you know exactly what's going on, then I suggest keep thinking. Over time, you'll figure out where to go next. But don't stop thinking about it. Don't rest on the fact that you're in a good spot now. I always try and keep in mind the example of how physical media like tapes and CDs really quickly became digital downloads. And then even digital downloads are now streaming services, so actually people aren't buying as much music anymore. So especially younger generations are using things like streaming services and they don't buy music because they just get tired of it after two weeks and why waste your money on that when you can constantly listen to new music. And I wouldn't be surprised when something comes along and replaces streaming services, not that I have a clue what that would be. And if you're looking at the current competition and laughing, just stop 
Instead of focusing on why they suck or you're so great, start looking for the ways that they excel and ask how you can incorporate those things into what you do. One of the stories that always uh, kind of sticks with me is how Sam Walton of Walmart fame would go into failing stores and see what good ideas they had. On one of those trips, he was going through a failing pharmacy in a town that they were looking to build a new Walmart. As his colleague told it, he himself was busy laughing uh, about the sad state of the store, while Sam was busy looking for the good ideas that they had. And at one point, stopping to inspect this pantyhose display and kind of playing with it, because he thought it was really neat, and he was looking for uh, who made it, how they could find it for Walmart themselves, and use it there. He was humble enough to recognize that other people have good ideas. So even if they are failing at one thing, they have good ideas and other things, and you can start learning from them. But don't just copy what other people do. Again, stay up to date on lab or research level developments. And sure, those don't always mean much for a few years, but it will give you a great idea of how much time you might actually have and understand what people are working on and the ideas kind of floating around in the industry. And while you're at it, look at what's going on in the crowdfunding world. And I'm talking about going to crowdfunding sites and checking out the ideas that people have and what, what they're trying to get funded. And then check out startup funds like Y Combinator to see who they've funded in the past. And so you might not be able to see who they are looking to fund, but you will be able to see who's out there already, who's new and upcoming, and who actually might be disrupting your industry soon. After all, if you're only relying on what's happening around you, like the businesses that you support or that support you, it actually might be too late. You might have actually needed to see these things coming beforehand. And so crowdfunding sites, startup funds, and even lab projects are a great way to see what's going on. With the world changing around us faster and faster every day, you don't have time for a wait-and-see approach. And there's no place for dismissive attitudes anymore. Remember, there was a time when the dot-com bubble bursts, and this was in the late 90s, when Amazon was actually in serious trouble. And I remember people laughing and essentially expecting Amazon to go out of business. A lot of those people are crying now because Amazon turned it around. But they actually didn't see the dot-com bubble bursting until it was too late, and I think they learned their lesson. Now, I know I talked a lot about business, but all of these principles do apply to employees too. So start doing your research and moving yourself towards what's next. Even as an employee, you need to keep an eye on where both your vocation and industry are headed. There are plenty of articles with some good advice over transitioning your career, so I'm definitely not going to talk about that. And personally, I just do what I talked about today. I see where the technology and industry is headed and try and figure out how I can move into a new or thriving spot. And if you're nervous or even outright scared about making that move, remember, not only can you handle it, and I know you can handle it, because quite frankly, if I can handle it, you can. I'm not the most brave person in the world. But I know you'll find yourself in a better position. And I say that because every time I've made a move, I've actually landed better off than I was before. Now, sure, I got laid off, but again, I actually did see that coming. I just didn't do anything about it. 
And like I've said, it's better to look for something new while you still have a job than to wait with the comfort of all those excuses and then have to scramble for something later. Well, anyway, I hope you found something useful out of today's episode. And if you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. And if you don't like what you hear, please just keep it to yourself. Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play to innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play to innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.